Finishing well. That's the title of our sermon today. I love that quote. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race, but my country sent me 5,000 miles to do what? Anybody? To finish. Uh, Maybe we can translate it this way. Our Heavenly Father did not send us to planet Earth and allow us to be born for such a time as this to start the Christian faith, but He's allowed us to be a part of the kingdom to finish Uh, And to finish well. And that's the title of our sermon today. I'm excited about this message God has uh, placed on my heart. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 5 in just a moment. But I'm going to do something a little bit differently. I'm going to go to the end, the benediction, and read it first. And so, guys, I'm sorry I didn't give you a forewarning uh, with the PowerPoint. But we're actually going to start on verse 12 and go through verse 14. And then we'll come back up to verse 5. This passage of Scripture... It is such a a riveting, moving segment of God's Word. Peter is closing out this first epistle. And when you know the backdrop and when you know the history and the the context, it makes the text even come alive even more. Uh, The Apostle Peter, he's aged. He has denied Christ. Christ has restored him. He has become this mighty, Pentecostal, powerful preacher where 3,000 people were saved in Acts chapter 2. And now he is finishing his course, finishing his race. The year is about A.D. uh, 64, 65-ish when he writes these words. And around A.D. 66, the Apostle Peter will die for his faith. He will die a martyr's death, just like the Apostle Paul in A.D. 67. And so when he closes out... It's almost like it is just building toward this crescendo, and he's writing to the church then who are suffering and and being persecuted, just like he's writing to the church today. And and if I could just characterize it this way, Peter would say, "In whatever you do, it really doesn't matter as much how you begin, but what really is paramount and what is imperative is that you finish and that you finish well. You know, the the older I get, the more I'm in ministry, and and I heard a a statistic the other day, and it just broke my heart, that one in ten pastors who start in ministry will finish in ministry. Now, think about that for a moment. What if that was your profession? Would that not scare the ibby-jibbies out of you? I mean, one out of ten pastors in America today will actually finish the race, finish preaching uh, as they uh, began. And so today, I I want to finish. I want to be found faithful. I don't want to limp into heaven. I want to run into the arms of Jesus. So let's look at it today. How can I as a pastor, how can we as a people, finish this thing called the Christian race and be obedient to our Lord even at our closing breath? Well, let, let me begin in verse 12. Peter's going to list some names of people who finished well, and they're going to encourage us greatly. He says, by Silvanus. Uh, His name really is Silas. That's his lengthy name, Silvanus, but by Silas, our faithful brother. Wouldn't that be awesome to be remembered that way? Silas, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, second name he mentions, so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Do do you sense that? It just pulsates with energy and and with momentum. The, The Apostle Peter is closing out this epistle, and he's bringing all the church together, and he's saying, and whatever you do, do like Silas did, 
and do like John Mark is doing and finish well. Well, in verse 12, this Silvanus Silas is the same one who joined the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 15 and went with him on this missionary journey. Do you remember that? In the Philippian jail, it was Paul and Silas, this guy, who were singing praise to God even after they had been beaten and counted worthy to suffer for his name. This guy is Peter's amanuensis. He is Peter's scribe or secretary. It says, by his hand or by him, my faithful brother, I am writing unto you, and I am exhorting you, and I am uh, testifying uh, unto you. Uh, Peter is he's bragging on Silas. He's telling us that, man, you, you ought to be like this guy. He is someone who is finishing well. And I love what Peter says. He says, I am testifying to you, I am encouraging you, I am exhorting you, that is, in the true grace of God in which you stand. And so, church, all over Rome, as you have been scattered all over, I just want you to know I am proud of you, and I appreciate your bold stand for God. Just like Silas, my brother, my scribe, who wrote these words down so you could remember them. She who is in Babylon, verse 13, elect. Now, what he's talking about here is literally the church that was on the Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq in this age in, in Babylon. And so he, is, he says, this church who is in Babylon, the elect or the called-out ones, we greet you, and so does Mark. Now, it's very interesting who this man was. This Mark is the same John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark and who also... In Acts chapter 15, do you remember it was Mark that caused the, the division between Paul and Barnabas? Barnabas was John Mark's cousin. And Mark, he quit. He was on a missionary journey, and I don't know if he got homesick or he got fatigued or he was tired of getting persecuted, but he says, Paul and Barnabas, man, I'm getting out of here. This is too hot. It's too difficult for me. And so he leaves them. And now John Mark says, hey, can I join y'all's band again? And Barnabas says, no, I mean, Barnabas says, sure, but, but Paul says, no, you can't because you have left us. And so now we see John Mark toward the end here that he is restored, that he is faithful. Did you know that the gospel of Mark is the apostle Peter's preaching? As Peter preached, John Mark wrote it down, and that's how we have the, the gospel of Mark. And it's interesting, too. And Paul, in one of his letters, he, he commends John Mark. Mark may have faltered, but he finished, and he finished well. Today, I want to testify to you. I want to encourage you to finish the race. Have any of you ever had the doubt or had the thought creep into your mind? You know, what, what am I doing with my life? I mean, I mean really, what, is this all really true? I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to live for the Lord, and I'm being ostracized by people, and, and, and I'm just being persecuted a little bit, and I, I just wonder if this thing is really all it's cracked up to be. Well, after I preached one time, this lady came up to me, and I'll never forget, she said these words. She says, Pastor, I want to thank you for preaching the Bible because it sure does help to know that somebody else believes this stuff. That's what she says. She's just being real, real honest. Well, I want you to know I believe this stuff. And you believe this stuff or you wouldn't be here uh, today. And so Peter, he calls out these two names, Silas. He calls out the name of John Mark. And then he closes out with this word of greet one another with a kiss of love. And by the way, that is a command. I know these single adults are going, whoo-hoo, I, I knew I loved the Bible. And yeah, I like this part. 
And, and really transliterated to our culture, it would be reach out and shake somebody's hand or give them a hug or kiss them on the cheek and, and just welcome. Hey, listen, guys, as we're in this thing together and, and we become more and more ostracized and marginalized in America as followers of Christ, I'm telling you this, guys, we are going to need each other. We're going to need to get along with each other. We're going to need to bind together as a band of brothers and sisters in Christ because we're going to start this thing, and then we're going to finish it together. Well, that's the benediction. That's the closing. Now let's get into the uh, verse 5, and we'll begin with reading the text. Here we go. Now he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Watch this, verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Let's stop there for just a moment. The Apostle Peter now is going to give us some words of instruction. He's going to coach us, if you will, on how you and I as believers, we... The, the definite actions or activities that we need to be engaged in that will guarantee that we will not only start well, but that we will also finish well. For example, in verse 5, he says, let us be submissive to one another. Now, the primary theme in the, in the epistle of 1 Peter is suffering, but the secondary theme is one of submission. And he says here, he says, submit to your elders. Yes, look at verse 5. He says, all of you... Be submissive to one another. We are to submit to the authorities of the state when they don't violate God's commandments. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands. The younger are to be submissive to the older. And so he's repeating this thing. And some of you are going, well, I'm not submissive. That doesn't come very, very easy for me. How am I to be submissive? Well, he tells us. He says, be clothed with humility. Let us all, the, the word literally means to put on the cloak of humility. And then he quotes Proverbs 3.34 when he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That word resist means to come against in full battle regalia. Now think about that. There are a group of people that the Word of God singles out that God himself gets a battalion, an army together, and he opposes. And you say, well, who are those people? Because I don't want to be one of those people. And it's clearly defined as the proud or the arrogant or the haughty. And so he's talking to the church, and he says, there is not room, a residue of pride. But we are to be submissive to one another. We are to be clothed with humility. And, and we are not to be proud, but we are to be humble. When I was in uh, graduate school and, and going to Southwestern Seminary, I had a professor, and I, I just deeply loved him. His name was James Leo Garrett. And, and I've shared a little bit about him with you, but I'm going to give you the rest of his story. James Leo Garrett taught systematic theology. And by the way, systematic theology is the hardest class that you will take in seminary. And some of you are looking at me like, aren't you teaching systematic theology at Great Hills Baptist Church on Thursday mornings in the fall? Yes, I am. All three of us. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be wonderful. I'm just kidding. In fact, I've been a little bit surprised by the reaction of so many people who are wanting to sign up and take this class. Well, Dr. Garrett has a bachelor's degree from Baylor Go Bears. 
He has a master's degree from Princeton University, and he has a Ph.D. from Harvard, okay? I don't have any of those things, but I'm still going to be your, your professor in systematic theology. And Dr. Garrett, the hardest professor I ever had in my life, and he was, I mean, he was so difficult. And, and so I took his class and I survived it. And, uh, you know, I thought highly of Dr. Garrett. And I esteemed him because he was such a scholar. But I thought even more of him one night in an arena in Fort Worth, Texas. As a student, I was sitting up in the balcony at a Luis Palau crusade. And as I looked down over the balcony, I looked and I said, that cannot be. But it was. There was this elderly man, tall, receding hairline, and I looked closely, and it was James Leo Garrett. He was one of the decision counselors at the crusade. There he sat with his, with his, little, uh, you know, his little booklet, and he was taking the names down of those who come forward, and he would greet them very humbly, and he would take them aside, share the gospel with them, and lead them to Christ. I, I tell you, I'll never forget that. Though he was this eminent scholar, brilliant man, he had a humble heart, and he loved, he loved serving the Lord. So Peter says, let us be clothed with humility. Let us submit to one another. And next, notice what he says. He says, let us cast our cares upon the Lord because the Lord cares for us. Now, if there is a verse you want to commit to memory out of the epistle of 1 Peter, it, it is this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast, literally throw off, cast your care. This is an interesting word in, in Greek. Merimna means to have worry or to have anxiety. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, I imagine that there are some, some worried and some anxious people in church today. And if the truth be known, most of us carry a burden. Most of us are carrying the burden, and the Bible says we ought to release the burden to God. I heard one pastor describe it this way. He says there are three ways to deal with worry and to deal with burden-bearing. Number one, you can become depressed and you can literally break down. He says you just, you just break down and become depressed. Number two, you can break out. And what he mean by break out is you just get angry. You just, you're just angry and you're, and you're, you're just mad and, and you're trying to carry this weight and this burden. And then thirdly, he said you can break through. And to break through means you take your burden, you take your anxiety, and you give it to the Lord. Oh, look at this. Look at Psalm 55. What an awesome, awesome verse. Psalm 55, 22 says this. Casting all of your burdens upon the Lord. Do we have it? Psalm 55, 22. Casting all of your burdens on the Lord. And He will sustain you. Look at this promise. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and you want to finish well and you want to hear God say these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You want to hear God say, you know what, I, I didn't really send you just to start. I, I sent you to finish and you finished well. In order to do that, we're going to have to take on these activities and these actions. We're going to have to be humble. We're going to have to be submissive. And we're going to have to be able to say, God, you take this burden. You take this because it's too heavy for me to bear. Everybody all right? That's point one. So guess what I'm about to do next? I'm about to preach on the devil. Do y'all think the devil likes it when you preach about him? You say, oh yeah, hell has a hallelujah party in hell because you're about to brag on the devil. No, I ain't. I'm not going to brag on him at all. In fact, I'm coming after him. 
And whenever you go after him, you, you better be geared up and, and ready because he doesn't take it lying down. In fact, there's a group of us about to go down to the Capitol here at 2 o'clock. And by the way, if you're not doing anything, you want to go to the Capitol, you can come on because there is a huge bill before the Senate that has major ramifications on life and abortion. And I'm going to go. I tell you, I've never been so actively involved until I moved to Austin, Texas. Salute. Amen. I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to get down there and represent you, and you can go with me if you want to. So let's, let's talk about the devil for a moment. Whew, mercy. Almost like preaching on hell. It's no fun, but we need to do it. The Bible says that the believers have an adversary. Now, number one is activities or actions, or believers' actions. Number two, if you're taking notes, write the word adversary. Now, I believe that once we become Christians and we become followers of Christ, the devil's primary goal for your life and my life is to trip us up so that we quit and that we don't finish well. In fact, Peter puts it like this. He says in verse 8, be sober be vigilant, because your adversary, now he goes ahead and just tells us who he is, your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, and he seeks whom he may devour. Now, verse 9, Peter begins to give this staccato and just repetitious command after command, and, and again, you, you just got to put yourself in his place. He is, he is very intense. He is wanting us to finish well, and he knows when we want to finish well, there is, a, there is a massive onslaught of demonic and satanic activity that is going to try to derail us. And he says these words. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So let's talk about this for just a moment. First of all, Peter says, in order to deal with the devil, you must be sober, and that is a... Uh, that is an imperative command. It's not the absence of drunkenness that he's talking about. That's what we, we think of sobriety. We think, of, no, it, it's much deeper than that. It literally means to be watchful, to be on the alert. Secondly, he says, be vigilant. And that word literally means to be cautious and to be alert. To be vigilant and to be cautious because we have an adversary who does not lie down when he is threatened. He comes against us, and the Bible says he walks about. Did y'all see that in your Bible, verse 8? The devil is not omnipresent. He can't be at all places at all times like God, but he's strong, and he has his demonic hordes who go out, and they walk about. Now, that word is peripateo in the Greek. Peripateo literally means to walk about like a traveling evangelist or a traveling teacher would go from place to place. So it says what it means. He walks about, and he seeks to, now watch this, devour. He, he's, he's a roaring lion seeking to devour. That word literally means to swallow or to drink down. Jesus put it like this in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief, the devil, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you may have, somebody help me. You may have life, and you may have it what? more abundantly. And so Jesus says, hang in there. I am stronger than he is. I will be on your behalf. I will help you. I will sustain you. But you need to be alert. You need to be cautious. You need to have your spiritual antennas up because once you name the name of Christ and you're on your way to heaven, don't think for a minute that the devil is going to leave you alone. In fact, listen to this. If you're serving God 
and doing all that you can to please Him and to walk with Him and just honor Him, I make you a golden promise. The devil is not happy with you. And some of you are going, man, is that why? Is that why I just keep, man, sometimes I just feel like I'm butting my head up against a wall and it ain't no wall. I mean, there is a force of darkness in this world that seeks to swallow us and to derail us. One writer put it like this, and I love this. He said, the fact that we cast everything upon God does not give us the right to sit back and to do nothing. Cromwell's advice to his troops was, trust in God and keep your powder dry. I love that. Keep your powder dry. The Christian is the man who trusts, but at the same time, puts all of his effort and all of his vigilance into the business of living for Christ. The devil is like any bully, and he retreats when he is bravely resisted in the strength of Jesus Christ. End of quote. The word resist here, when he says resist him, steadfast in the faith, it is a military term. It literally means to form a line against. And the way we resist him in verse 9, it says to be steadfast uh, in the faith. Listen to this word steadfast. It means to be stiff, solid, strong, and stable. Watch this. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now watch this. This is why God showed me this. This is, this is good. Listen to this. Right, we're in this massive spiritual battle. And the only way we come out victorious is that as we know Christ, and listen to this very carefully, we are in fellowship with the body of Christ, the community called the church. Everything that he says is within this context. Resist him, not alone, but resist him, because just like your brothers in the world, they are experiencing the same sufferings. I don't know about you, but it it helps me greatly to know that I'm a part of a family. I'm a part of a body of Christ. I'm a part of a group of people who love the Lord, love the Word of God, and want to stay strong, want to be faithful, and want to end, and want to finish well. And so we, we come together. Aren't we much stronger together than we ever would be by ourselves? You know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. You know, God showed me that this morning. I, I never saw that. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. He wasn't so lone after all, was he? In 1521, Martin Luther, he did something that was unprecedented. Martin Luther translated the the Greek and the Hebrew into German. It's called the September Bible in in September of 1521. He said, oh, the opposition that he received. Many in the church believe that the, the lay people should not have the Bible in their own language. A many in the Catholic Church says, keep it in Latin and keep them uneducated because we're the, we're the leaders and they are the followers. But Martin Luther came along with this idea of a reformation or a protest. And so today we know it in history as the Protestant Reformation. He said, no, no, no. And, and Calvin and Zwingli and William Tyndale and, and many others and many radical reformers, our predecessors, the Anabaptists, they, they formed a line together and said, no, no. We need the Word of God. We need it in the language of our people. So Martin Luther painstakingly translated out of the Hebrew and out of the Greek, he translated the Bible in the language of the German people and gave the Bible to the people. What what an amazing feat. He said this, as I was working on this, this was a Herculean effort, by the way. He said, I felt the palpable presence of the devil 
like I'd never felt it before. In fact, Martin Luther took an ink bottle and threw it. He threw it at the devil. I mean, he couldn't see him, but, but he could sense his presence so, so strongly. And so this is how we do it. We, we resist him. We're steadfast in the faith. We take consolation in knowing that the same sufferings are experienced, verse 9, by our, by our brotherhood uh, in the world. So I hope this helps you. I hope this encourages you as you're on your journey to finishing well and going, going to heaven. So let, let me close with this word. Finally, the believer's arrival. And verses 10 and 11 are spectacular. I mean, it just, it just gives me so much encouragement. And I hope it encourages you as we close out this epistle of 1 Peter, uh, five chapters. It's been a glorious study. At least it has been for me on living hope. Here it is, verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory, think about future, okay? Think about arriving in heaven, future glory, by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter, he closes out this epistle, and for the third time in our text today, he mentions this word grace. He says, we are the beneficiaries of grace. God is a God of all grace. And watch this, verse 10. He has called us to his eternal glory. Does that not motivate you? Does does that not encourage you just a modicum, just a little bit to know that God has saved us, God has called us. We're walking through this journey, this pilgrimage, and yes, we've got detours, we've got, we've got dead ends, and we've got some dry holes and some potholes to get over, and we've got an adversary who presses us down. But aren't you glad to know today that we just keep marching and we keep walking, and one glorious day, God brings us on into heaven. And that is our arrival. That is when we, 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 we're translated out of this earthly body into our resurrected spiritual body. But he says this, he says, but before that time comes, you're going to go through some hard times, but here are the fourfold results of going through these difficult times. And let's look at them in verse 10. Some people believe that this only refers to heaven, verse 10, but but I disagree. I believe what he's saying here is, this is for the here and the now, that after we suffer, God does the following things in us. Number one, he he perfects us, or the, the word literally means to be restored. It's the word that doctors use then to mend a broken bone. It's the word that fishermen use to mend a a broken net. And so after we come through this suffering and this difficulty, God is with us and, and he mends us and he strengthens us so that we can carry on. Number two, he says he establishes us. And this word literally means to make strong or to be sturdy. Somebody said an untested faith is suspect. But a tested faith is sturdy and strong. But number three, he says, after coming through these sufferings and these difficulties, the Bible says he will strengthen us. And this is a great word. It literally means to make us sturdy, to be firmly planted and to be strong. If I can give you an analogy out of the physical world, it would be, it would be this. Uh, a couple, of, well, now it's a month ago, we were traveling through uh, California and uh, we were doing the Monterey Peninsula, the 17-mile drive. What a beautiful ride. And as we're making our way up there, I'm turning green with envy, i got to admit it. All these golf courses, there's Pebble Beach. By the way, they'll let you play it for $500. Mercy. 
what is it, gold on the green or something? I don't know. But anyhow, I'm just looking at all these places. But I come upon this picture, and it was, the, it was my favorite picture of the whole trip. I took that picture. It's a little bit blurred. But I want you to take a look at that for a moment. That picture is a cypress tree. It's known as the Lone Cypress Tree. And on the 17-mile brochure, by the way, I, I got the brochure and I read it. Imagine that. The brochure says... This tree has been there on that little island by itself now against the winds of the ocean for 250 years. The Pebble Beach Company uses that icon as the symbol of their company. And I got to looking at that and I thought, that is fascinating. There those, how in the world is that tree going to last for 250 years? And here's how. It's got some deep roots. It's got deep embedded roots. Through that rocky terrain, its system of roots, I mean, it is spread out and it is sturdy. So, man, coming off the Pacific Ocean, the wind is always blowing, but for 250 years, it has been established and it has been strengthened. Now, watch this. If God, who created that tree and planted it firmly with deep roots, can enable and empower that tree to be strong and sturdy and established for 250 years, don't you think He can take care of us? Don't you think that He can make us stand and withstand? Don't you think that when we, when we deepen our roots in the nutrients and in the fertile soil of the Word of God, when we are firmly established and when the wind blows, we stand for God and we keep standing for God until God takes us home? I, I, thank you. Thank you. I, that's good. Um, oh, I shouldn't have thought about Pebble Beach. Mercy. I'm, now I'm thinking golf. Easily distracted, Brother Danny. You're easily distracted. Okay. Um, let's see. There's one more in verse 10. Did you see it? So that you are strengthened, so that you are established, so that you are sturdy. And then finally he says, so that you are settled. Don't you like that? That word literally means to have a strong foundation. Foundation, a strong foundation. You know, I'm, I'm deeply concerned about Christendom in America. I don't think this is any real shock to you. I am a, I am, I'm just concerned because I, I don't know that our people in the church, their roots are, are being deepened and strengthened. And, and to me, the, the greatest opportunity for our people, for us to come together and to deepen our roots is in the public proclamation of the Word of God. It's, it's one of the primary ways, as I am teaching you, and I'm teaching you this book, that God is doing miraculous things in your life. He is strengthening you. He is developing those roots in you so that when you are assailed by the frigid winds of adversity and difficulty, you will stand personally, individually. You're having your quiet time with the Lord. You're studying the Word of God. You're in a small group, a Bible study group, and you're being developed in, in the Scriptures. And then when you come here, and I only have about 30, 45 minutes with you a week, and the best thing I can do is say, and now look at verse 10, or now look at verse 5, or now look at this, or look at that. It's the Word of God that will keep you sane, keep you strong, keep you sturdy, keep you solid, keep you sure, so that it enables you and empowers you to finish well. See, that's, that's my desire for you, is that you finish well. Not that you just start well, but how many do you know today? Oh, I became a Christian when I was eight years old. Oh, I don't, 
I don't believe that stuff anymore. I have one of my family members tell me that. I don't believe that anymore. I, I, just, I just went through the motion. No discipleship. No deep roots. And when, the, when he was assailed by the winds of theodicy, he just toppled over because he didn't have these, these firm roots. I tell you, more than anything else, Great Hills, I want you to be established in your faith, deeply embedded, so that why would I teach you a year of systematic theology unless the Spirit of God, I mean, He has deeply put this on my heart. And by the way, I'm going to teach you in a way that you're going to understand it. If we use big ten-cent words, I'm going to tell you what those words mean. In fact, what time is it? I mean, let me tell you just a quick story. I didn't plan on saying this. Saturday night a week ago, I finished reading the chapter on the canon of Scripture. And I'm going to teach you why we only have 27 books in the New Testament and why we only have 66 books in the Old Testament. I tell you, I couldn't hardly sleep Saturday night. I was so jacked up, fired up over canonicity. Whew, okay? You say, well, what does that matter? It matters because at 3.30 the next day, the Mormons knocked on my door. I was, can I just go on record and say I had a good time? I, it was just, it was so fun. I, and I took them through canonicity, and they, when they handed me the, the new, new Testament of Joseph Smith, I said, that's fallacious, it cannot be added, and here's why. And I gave clear, definitive reasons why. That's my first lesson that I'm going to teach you Thursday morning, September the 12th at 645, so that when the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons knock on your door, you can be kind, you can be gracious, but you can be knowledgeable. Listen, there are answers, there are reasons that we give for our faith. And if I do my job, if I do my job, Doug, if I'm teaching you and getting you deep in the Word of God, you won't fall away. You won't apostatize. You won't drift off in times of adversity. You say, why? Oh, because we had such a good little preacher. Nope, nope, nope. But you had the Word of God deeply embedded in you. And you don't falter. And you don't fall away. Oh, that's my desire for you. That is my definite desire for you. But let's be, let's be true. Some of you here today, <laughs> you're teetering on quitting. I see it all the time. You're on the precipice of quitting. We're, we're about the eighth church you visited <laughs> or joined, and you're like, well, I'm just waiting to something goes wrong here, and I'll just go to the next one, and it won't be long that you won't go anywhere. You'll just quit. But in God's great sovereignty, would it be awesome today that quit was no longer in your vocabulary? That you'd come to your senses and realize that there is no perfect church, pastor, organization. I mean, we are we are fallible creatures. But the unity and the coming together is what makes us strong. Andy Judy was a skydiver. Who in their right mind want to jump out of a well-functioning airplane? I don't mind. Unless you're in the military, why in the world do you want to do that? And so he's in the Cessna 182, and there are four skydivers. And, man, they're just having a fine time, I guess. And one went off. The second one went off. Third one went off, and Andy Judy's going, I'm next, I'm next, I'm next. And he steps out, he kind of gets out there near the, the wing, and he steps on the little, there's actually a little step that you get on, and then when he went to do this, his foot got caught. His foot is caught, he's dangling underneath the air. Let me show you that again. He's dangling <laughs> underneath the airplane. He's 10,000 feet up in the air, okay? 
he pulls himself up and he's trying to unstrap his, his boot that's caught so that he can jump off and he can parachute. He can't do it. And now he's getting nervous. The pilot notices that there's some human being underneath his airplane. He calls in for help. They send in airplanes. They don't know what to do. They're, they're trying to get close, but they don't want to get too close. And there he is. The pilot says, I'm running out of gas. I've got to land this airplane, or I'm going to die. My co-pilot's going to die. We're all going to die unless I go ahead and land this thing. And Andy Judy now has been under that airplane for 30 minutes, and he sees what's coming. He sees, I, I know this thing is about to land. And they do. They land it. And when they land it, he makes it, and he doesn't die. In fact, only thing he has are a few bumps and bruises, and he lived to tell about it. The name of the article is, Plan Lanes as Skydiver Hangs Below. I mean, really. And I thought about that. You know, I think I've preached to a lot of Andy Judys. Some of you are just dangling, you're hanging on, you're, you're confused, you're perplexed, and you're like, God, will you just take care of this? Will you remedy this situation? Now, now here's, a, here's a good word for you. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make you a promise. God is going to take care of it, or he's going to take care of it. You say, what do you mean by that? God's going to bring you out of your difficulty, okay? You, by the way, you're not going to stay in your difficulty forever, aren't you glad? God is either going to take you out of it, or he's going to take you home. How's that? He'll take you through it, or he will take you home. And I just want you to know, both those prospects are really fine. They're, they're outstanding. If you know the Lord, if you're walking with him. The verse ends for me in verse 11 where he says, And all glory, doxa, and all dominion unto Christ. That word dominion is kratos. And it means mighty with great power. Our great and awesome God. He is with us. He is saved us. And he equips us. He gives us everything that we need to lead the victorious, live the victorious Christian life. And he, he suits us up. And, and the activities or the actions that we take upon ourselves, and, and we're part of the body of Christ, first of all, we are submissive. Secondly, we are humble. We are not haughty and we are not arrogant. And, and thirdly, we just cast our care upon him, okay? And as we do that, as we make our journey toward heaven, we are going to be confronted with an enemy. I mean a strong enemy that opposes everything that you hold dear, okay? He opposes it. And so what do you do? Well, you resist him. You're vigilant and you're strong and you, you do everything that you can. You, you stay in fellowship with Christ. You stay in fellowship with the church. You read the word of God and you just say, God, take care of him because he is stronger than I. And Jesus steps in and it's awesome, okay? And as you're walking through this journey, there's coming a day when you close your eyes and you wake up in eternity and you hear these words. Way to go. It's awesome. You finished well. And just enter into the joy of the Lord. Wouldn't it be awesome to do that? You know, I think about Peter. And people say, well, the apostle Peter... You know, he messed up royally, and he did. Anybody here has not messed up royally? I didn't think so. I mean, he denied the Lord. He even cursed that he knew God. And yet Jesus forgave him. Jesus reinstated him. And Jesus filled him so that when he finished, he finished well. And that's what I want, that's what I want you to do. If you're here today and you haven't begun the journey, let, let me say it this way. 
If you have not become a follower of Christ, here's a word I've got for you that I believe the Lord gave me. Please, Please listen to me carefully. If you haven't begun the journey yet, don't wait until you figure everything out, until you get your life sort of in order, then you come to God. That is one of the devil's most hideous lies. You will never figure it all out. You will certainly not get your life together, and you will slip into a Christless eternity saying, I wish I had it. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you're listening to us online or you're watching on television, if you're here in Austin at Great Hills Baptist Church, you don't have a relationship with God, then do this. Say, God, I cast myself upon you. There's so much I don't understand. There's so much I don't know. And and yet, God, I just give you my life. I turn away from that life and that sinful life, and I embrace you by faith. God, take me as I am, and God does. Okay, He does. And He begins that awesome work of grace in your life. If you're here today and you've begun that journey and you're walking with the Lord and yet you're just, you feel battered, you got the Andy Judy syndrome, you feel like you're just dangling in the kingdom of God, you know it's, it's going to be bumpy and bruised, and you just think, you know, I, I just don't know. Maybe I'll just go back to the way life used to be, you know. I had a lot more friends and certainly had a lot more parties. I got to do a lot more things. Maybe, maybe, I'll just, maybe I'll just drift back on into that life. Listen, listen to me carefully. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. All of heaven is applauding you. This church, we come alongside of you. We want you to finish and finish well. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have preserved it. That, God, you've given us everything we need to live a dynamic, fruitful, effective Christian life. Father, first of all, I want to pray for those that are here today. That, God, they don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. And they're in that quagmire of figuring everything out and getting their act together. God, would you release them from that? Enable them, Lord, just to come to you by faith. Enable them, Lord, to just say, God, I can't do this, and I I ask you to save me and to help me. And really, if you're here today and that is you, then I invite you. I invite you to say, Christ, I believe on you. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I want to be saved. God will save you. God will change you if you will believe on him today. Others of you are here today, your heads are bowed, and your eyes are closed, and and man, this, this was a message for you. This is going to go down as one of those moments where God rescued you because you were teetering. You were thinking about not only leaving our church, but you were thinking about leaving the church. And yet God in his grace, certainly through the weakness of this preacher, it was God in his grace that allowed you to be here today to hear this message about finishing well. Can I say it one more time? God did not send us all these miles to start the Christian life. He sent us to finish and finish well. So, Father, we pray now as we stand in your name and in your honor as we sing praise to you, that, God, it would be just a time of worship and it would be a time of dedication and commitment. I pray for our pastors, our counselors as they're here at the front, that they would welcome and they would receive those, Lord, who need to cast their burden off of their shoulders. Lord, I pray that today there would be a burden-casting party at Great Hills Baptist Church at this very hour, that there would be broken hearts that would be mended, there would be depressed spirits that would be made well, and that, Lord, you would energize us. And, and God, I'm, I'm asking you for strength. I'm asking you, Lord, for, for help. As other believers, as we make our way downtown, that, God, you would equip us, you would, you would just give us everything we need 
to go forward in victory and represent you, represent your church well. So, Lord, I pray that you'd bless our invitation. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Why don't you stand up with me? God bless you. Thank you for being here. Let's stand and let's sing praise to the Lord. And, man, if you got a commitment, a decision you need to make, we invite you to come even now. Brother Terry, you lead us as we sing.